So any confrontation humans have is primarily occurring at an emotional level. And if you can short circuit that in some way, shape or form, if you can down-regulate people on their response, then violence is avoided. And that's the thing you desperately want to do. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your Daily Helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and we have a great guest for you today, all the way from down under in Melbourne, Australia. His name is Chris Tate, and he is one of the first people ever to release a share trading book in Australia and has had an extraordinary impact of thousands of traders, best-selling author of The Art of Trading and The Art of Options Trading, his brutally honest approach and meticulous pursuit of excellence ensure that exceptional traders all around the world quote his market comments. There's a lot more about Chris Tate, but I'm saving that because I want to get into his story. Chris, welcome to the show. It is great to have you on The Daily Help. Dr. Richard, how are you? I am outstanding. Thank you for asking. Excellent. I know it's, it's basically 5 a.m. there in the morning where you are, so uh, thank you for starting your day with us, and, and I just can't wait to jump in. I, we've been chatting a little bit before off air, and, and I'm excited to share your story and knowledge with everybody listening to us right now. So why don't we just jump right in because you've got such an interesting background and you're obviously in trading yet do previous work as an immunologist and a bouncer and you're doing this. So take us through the story. Well, how, how in the world did we get here? It, it, it seems sort of wonderfully exotic when you put it that way. Uh, it, it's not as circuitous as people think. I, I, like everybody else, had jobs as a student. All students have jobs. And as I mentioned before, when, when we were chatting, uh, when you're 6'4 and 230 pound, you, you tend to take up space. And as such, it, it seemed to be, I might say, natural fit. But being a bouncer was just simply one of those things I fell into. Been heavily involved in the martial arts since I was a teenager. A friend of mine who was also involved, got a job bouncing, said, here you go. And the job went from there. And I actually found it. people have stereotypical images of bouncers. I'm not quite certain what, what the scene is like in the US, but the stereotypical image of a bouncer here in Australia is of a giant islander, generally a Maori, Fijian, Tonga, who's built like an Easter Island statue. And that's the stereotypical image. People who don't talk much, people who uh, sort of are prone to having a, a very short temper. I actually viewed bouncing, because I was a science student at the time, as a wonderful sort of sociological experiment. It was just wonderful to observe the way people behaved 
And it was one of the things that initially got me to start to think about how people live their lives and why they've ended up where they are. And what intrigued me was we would have people come back to venues week after week after week. They were regulars. And you could see the trajectory of their life unfolding. And simply by observing how they interacted with others, how they viewed their own life, you could almost get a sense of how they were mapping out their existence for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And bouncing is one of those things where if you sit back and observe people, you get a sense of why people's lives are like they are. And that's something I've carried with me in that you can actually see why people's lives are like they are. They've undertaken a series of course of actions, uh, gone down a certain path, and often not had the awareness to make course correction because course correction comes from self-awareness. And bouncing continued all through my student days. I did a little bit of it when I was still doing graduate work because as a graduate student, money's tight. Uh, there's, there's a limit to how much scholarships and stipends do. And so went from there to was doing graduate research as an immunologist. My gig is the human immune system, or it was. And eventually got sick of academia, got sick of politics, got sick of universities. And look, I won't say drifted into finance because it was a directed move, but moved sideways into finance and somehow ended up where I am. I was able to retire very, very early. So I was very, very spoiled, very, very lucky. And since then have largely done my own thing. I'm very lucky. My time is my own. Uh, we were talking about this before. My time's fluid. My life's fluid. So the fact that it's very early in the morning here is of no consequence to me. It's it's interesting. I, I want to go back to the piece that stuck out to me is that you you felt like you could really get a sense of somebody as a bouncer based on the things you observed about them and, and carry that on later. Tell us a little bit more what, what you meant by that. When, when, when you interact with people, particularly in, in stressful situations, and, and bouncing is, is often stressful, it was often stressful because it, it does have, unfortunately, that potential for confrontations to escalate. As much as you sometimes work as hard as you possibly can to de-escalate a confrontation, because all confrontations, is emotional and psychological. It, it's not a physical thing. So any confrontation humans have is primarily occurring at an emotional level. And if you can short-circuit that in some way, shape or form, if you can down-regulate people on their response, then violence is avoided, and that's the thing you desperately want to do. There are people who I found you could not down-regulate because they didn't have sufficient internal dialogue uh, on board to enable them to see what was going on. But most people can be down-regulated. You can de-escalate a confrontation through body language, through the language you use, through your approach, through simple physical contact. Uh, I often used to find just walking up to someone and touching them on the elbow and saying, 
all right, mate, what, what seems to be the problem? What's going on? That, that simply human interaction would calm them down. There were some people who that would not work for in any way, shape or form. And they would have a repeating pattern of behaviour. We would have people who we would throw out every Friday and every Saturday night until they were banned from the venue. And they could not see that their, their actions were the catalyst for what was happening. And this, this is something I've noticed throughout life is that people don't understand their role in what is occurring or what's happening to them. And I've noted this in myself. When I, when I for example, let's use a simple example. When I've been out driving and someone's cut me off or done something stupid and I've become annoyed, I've become, you know, I've arced up because an idiot has ruined my day. Well, has the idiot really ruined my day or has my response to the idiot ruined my day? I'm playing a central role in what's occurring. I'm a pivot point or, or part of the catalyst for what's occurring. And if I, I understand my role, then all of a sudden my life becomes easier. But a lot of people don't understand what their role is in events. People view themselves as often as if, as if they're carried along by circumstance, as if they're just an observer rather than a participant. And I think people forget sort of their participation in their own lives, that they're just carried along as if they're in a boat that's heading downstream and there's nothing they can do about it. And it is that inability of people to sort of realise that that I've always found fascinating and, 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 it, and in part a little bit perplexing. Everybody wants to be the hero of their own narrative, but people often won't write their own narrative. They'll, they'll let it be written for them. I'm curious, have you found any interesting overlap between your observations of people in bouncing and the work that you help people with now in, in trading? Oh, absolutely. It's simply because trading, like every endeavour, is emotional and psychological in nature. Relationships are emotional and psychological in nature. Uh, the way we go through our day is emotional and psychological in nature. It's not a series of transactions in the physical world. It's a series of moments of psychological contact with other people. And the thing people forget about trading, and I mentioned this before, before we came on air, is that people view trading as a, you know, it's something where you look at financial reports or you look at graphs or you try and understand numbers and you move coloured numbers around a screen. It's not. Trading is a psychological endeavour. People fail because they haven't got their psychology on point. And in that way, it's no different from exercise programs, weight loss programs, people who go into counselling for their relationships. They're all based upon a very complex psychological problem. And unfortunately, I think in life, we attempt this reductionist approach where we take what we perceive to be the scientific method 
and we attempt to apply that in a rigid format to everything we do. And I don't think that works because it lacks an understanding of the human element in the problem. If we look at weight loss, obesity in Australia, probably like the US or anywhere in the Western world, is setting aside COVID-19, probably our number one chronic long-term health condition that is affecting Western society. And people would simply just say, well, it's easy. Move more, eat less. Well, yes, that's a very reductionist approach, but it doesn't take into account the human element. It doesn't take into account people's relationship with food, with their own self-image, with their own background. And so we, we've attempted to solve what is a very complex biopsychosocial problem with a series of reductionist slogans that don't really work. And I, I think that's a general problem with life. And, and in many ways, I think it's a general problem with sort of, let's you know, mention the realm of positive psychology. It, it attempts to be too reductionist. And it doesn't understand the complexity of the problem. And humans are immensely complex individuals. Hey, guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. You mentioned COVID-19 notwithstanding. Uh, obviously, this is a situation the world hasn't seen since really 1918. And the markets are much more complex and diverse than they were then. Back then, there wasn't E-Trade or whatever the, I don't know what, what the equivalents are in Australia, but the average consumer could not invest in the stock market or had credit cards in, in 1918. So now the, the economics are completely different. So talk to us about investing in this market. What is, what is intriguing, what's confusing people is that if you look at, let's, let's pick the US market because it's, it's remarkable as an exemplar. I'm not certain what the current death toll in the US is at present, what, 170,000, which is an extraordinary number. The market appears to have completely disregarded that on what Feb 19 market hit a high, then came down as the pandemic began to unfold. It then completely reversed. And that, that seems perverse to people. It seems very, very confusing that in, in the midst of this sort of worldwide pandemic, that markets would be so buoyant. But there's a few things that people have forgotten. Markets are made up of people. People are fundamentally irrational in their decision-making as a group. And there's simply no way around that. But markets also don't look at today. The market's not looking at 
you know, today, Friday, my time, Thursday, your time, and saying, this has happened, therefore we will do this today. What the market is doing is saying is we accept that this has happened today, but I'm, I'm actually looking at 12 months, 18 months. I'm, I'm not particularly interested in today. Markets are forward-looking, they forward pace. And so day-to-day perturbations that people would think would affect the market today don't because markets are always looking forward. They're always trying to future pace and future plan what is going on. Now, they often don't get that right. But whether they're right or wrong is an irrelevancy. It's merely the fact that they're doing it that is important. And we come back to this notion that because markets are at their heart fundamentally irrational, because what you see is an interplay between fear and greed, these are two extremes on an emotional spectrum. And they are extremes. And crowds swing through extremes. Uh, you see this. If, if you go to a, a sporting event, a crowd will have moments, and they are fleeting moments of absolute jubilation. There will be moments of absolute despair. There's very rarely a balance in the middle where the crowd just sits there and goes, well, I'm completely equilibrium with what is happening on the field. They're either completely over the top with what their team has done when it's gone wrong, or they're completely shattered when it's gone wrong. And it is that sort of seesaw of human emotion that you see in markets. So let's talk about, and that is interesting to apply emotionality to the markets. It makes complete sense as you describe it. Somebody's listening to this saying, okay, so I want to invest in the market during this time. What are, what are some key things that people need to know? There's a few bits and points that people need to understand. Investing is one of those fields where people feel remarkably qualified when they're unqualified to do so. And I understand that's that's a standard human endeavour, particularly among males. Uh, Males, for example, you you probably have the phenomenon there. Americans have this wonderful expression, uh, Monday morning quarterbacks. Everybody's an expert after the event, which means everybody's an expert during the event. Uh, we, we have the situation here in Australia where, for example, let's say there's a sporting event like the Olympics. And a, a group of guys will be sitting around the barbecue and they will be watching an incredibly complex event. Let, let's say like the men's gymnastics, the floor exercises. And you will undoubtedly hear somebody who's had one too many beers say, Six weeks, I could do that, not a problem. In fact, I'll try and do it right now. This is generally followed by a trip to the emergency room. People are immensely overconfident, particularly males. The the, the number one thing I would suggest that people do when they want to invest is simply take a deep breath and pause and wait. Because too many investment decisions are made on the spur of a moment. People will put more thought into what washing machine they will buy than what they will bet their kids' college fund on, which is quite a remarkable thing. 
And so my view is that you need to pause. You need to think about why you want to do it. What, what, what is the end point you're attempting to do? And then you need to set about the process of educating yourself. You need to begin to understand what the market does, what it can and can't do, what it can and can't do for you. You need to understand the terminology to get a sense of what is happening. And you need to understand how to work out whether it is actually the time to invest or not. And the number, look, I'm going to supplant all my other number ones with another, another number one. Do not take any advice off a financial advisor in any way, shape, or form, simply because having worked in the industry, and this does not win me many brownie points, the majority of people within the investment industry who give advice do not know what they're doing. Never have, never will. For example, we used to have the ridiculous situation here in Australia whereby it was a two-day course to get a financial licence, uh, the capacity to give advice. And it was only two days. It was a three-day course to become a barista, someone who makes coffee. You, you, can, you can all of a sudden start to see the problem. And the problem is, and I'll give an example. When I first moved into stockbroking uh, sometime last century, the person sitting opposite me had been selling carpet two weeks beforehand. The person sitting next to me had been selling shoes. That was their only qualification. Now, that's tightened up, and it's tightened up around the world over the years. But there is, there is a reason why people have flooded into index funds. The index fund outperforms the majority of fund managers worldwide. So it, it's, it's a duality. It's thinking for yourself, but educating yourself. It, it is one of those fields where you are responsible for what you do. But like everything else, we like to abrogate responsibility to someone else because that gives us someone else to blame. We, we don't want to be blaming ourselves for our own failures. So this has made me never want to trust a financial advisor ever again, <laughs> just hearing that. But so say a person gets rid of their financial advisor, they pause and think that I'm going to invest now. They've started doing some research on particular companies. What, what are, just give me a few, because and I know you've got a wealth of knowledge, but what are a few things at that point to do? to trade successfully in the pandemic market? Yeah. It's successful trading revolves around. Uh, when I was invited to write uh, my first book, the publisher said, can you write a book on trading in markets? And I said, yeah, not a problem. It won't be very long. And they said, why is that? And I said, well, I only know three things. When the market is going up, you buy it. When the market's going down, you sell it. And you do not bet the farm. And they said, we don't think that's going to fill 250 pages. You might have to pad a little bit. I can do that. I was at university. That's easy. And, and, and that's the essential message. But the essential, the essential message is 
you just don't bet the farm. You don't make any singular decision, which if it goes wrong, will cause you financial grief. One of the great problems people have is they'll do silly things like they'll bet everything on Apple or they'll bet everything on Bitcoin because they view the market as a lottery. And, and unfortunately, the industry is awash with stories of people who've gone, well, I bought Apple at $3 30 years ago and I've just held it ever since and I'm a multimillionaire. And that unfortunately convinces people that what they should do is take everything they own and buy Apple because that will happen to them in 30 years. Uh, we've had the situation here in Australia and undoubtedly around the world where people have done nonsense things such as sell their home and bought Bitcoin. And, of course, they bought Bitcoin at the peak. Now they have no house and no Bitcoin. And it is, it is that desire to get rich tomorrow that is problematic because what people think trading is, is, well, I've, I watched the 1980s version of Wall Street on a Sunday, so I know all about it. I'll start trading on Monday. Wednesday, I'll buy the Porsche. Friday, maybe Saturday, I'll go and buy an island somewhere and retire. That's not how it works. And it's never worked that way. It might have occasionally worked through, you know, the tens of millions of traders we've had the past hundred years where they have, where that's been a complete and utter fluke. Uh, 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 you know, uh, somebody has to win the lottery, but it doesn't mean it's going to be you. So it's, Get an understanding of which way the market is actually going and do not bet the farm. And whilst they sound very, very simple, we come back to the notion that trading is an emotional endeavour. You've actually got to learn to control yourself. You've actually got to learn to understand why you're doing things. And, and I would recommend that traders spend more time with people like you than with people like me. Because what I can convey to people is really quite simple. That trading is a simple thing. But understanding who you are and why you do things is very, very complex. But it's not only complex, it's actually a lifelong thing. It, it, the voyage of self-discovery is something that continues until the time when the lights go out, and, and which is why sort of the impact of people like you is much more important than the impact of people like me. It's very interesting what you're sharing, and it's, it's remarkably fascinating to hear you talk about the market in the psychological constructs, many of which there are taught to people who are therapists, clinicians, and graduate school. But they are the same principles. They are the same principles. You're just speaking of one's locus of control, whether you can, what you can control versus what you can't. Anxiety, no doubt, plays a large role in investing and, and impulsivity. Uh, and we've, we've heard a lot of those Bitcoin stories over here when that was really big. Everybody was taking out second mortgages on their home and you know, investing in Bitcoin and lost everything. So... You know, it, it, it absolutely is fascinating to talk about money from a purely psychological standpoint. 
impulse control, that, that phrase is such a powerful one. Impulse control is one of the cornerstones, I think, of being an effective human being. And it's impulse control in your relationships. So you step back and pause. You don't simply respond. In your financial decisions, so you don't do these silly things. So you don't all of a sudden go, well, ABC mining looks really, really good. I'll put everything on that. It is that capacity to control those, look, I'll call them inner demons, that really is the hallmark, I think, from all my years of watching people, is the, it is the dividing line between people who are successful and people who are not. People who are successful are not, they're not reflexive in their action. They are reactive, but their reaction has a pause in it. And the pause enables, and we'll use the expression again, down-regulate their response. So they down-regulate what would be the normal impulsive response. And you see this when people interact with their partners, people who have successful relationships. They both operate on a, on a plane that doesn't have that, react, that reflexive nature to it. There's not, not that snappiness to it. There is, you know, it, it, it's not relaxed. All, all human interaction is often difficult. You know, we all have moments where you think, I'm going to strangle you. But that's a momentary thing that disappears. We, we, we have a big campaign here at present uh, about domestic violence, particularly during lockdown, because here in Melbourne at present, we're uh, in our stage two lockdown, courtesy of COVID, and domestic violence is a problem. And you can imagine what a horrific problem it would be during lockdown. Domestic violence is a male problem and it is a problem of impulsivity. It is that inability to down-regulate what you do and how you respond. And if, if we go back to my first career as a bouncer, violence as a bouncer was an impulsivity problem. People were unable to down-regulate their own emotions and say, okay, what part do I play in this? Am I going to make it worse or better? And unfortunately, there are people who, who bumble through life, making each situation they end up worse. Instead of making it better, they, they make situations more inflamed, uh, more emotional. And that, that seems to be their mode of interaction. And they do that with everything. And you see this in trading. You see people who have look very high intellect, they're often high achievers and they often have exceptionally good trading systems, but they defeat themselves. And they defeat themselves because they're impulsive. They can't control what they do. And so they're a little bit, I often use the analogy, they're a little bit like a cat with a laser pointer. <laughs> Their attention flits from here to there to there and everything is now, now, now. And everything is on blast. No, nothing's done quietly, which is why tra trading, the, the most underutilised thing in trading is trading psychology. But again, and you, you would undoubtedly find this in your practice, people are resistant to it or in psychology in general 
is simply because they don't like having the mirror held up to them. Because the mirror doesn't lie. It tells the truth. And they don't like what they see. So people are immensely resistant to any form of self-analysis that might provoke self-awareness. Uh, we see it in trading. It, you know, when, when people are blowing themselves up, it has to be the broker's fault. It has to be the market's fault. Something wrong with their computer. It's, it's never what they do. And, and it's probably, you probably see the same in therapy. Uh, people are always good at pushing sort of what has occurred on the outside. Everything's an external problem. Nothing's ever an internal problem. Nothing's within me. Everything's done to me or you have caused this. It's not, well, hell, what part did I play in this? What, what is my role? And I think it's only that when you say to yourself, you ask the question, what role did I play in this event, that you can actually start to grow in any way, shape or form. So well said. I love that this has been an episode about trading, but we've talked just as much about emotions and human behaviors. And I think so thank you for that. I, I wish that we had more time, but... We're, we're running out. And as you know, I wrap up every episode by asking my guests a single question. And that is, what is your biggest help? The single most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation today? I think it's always remember, we all want to be the hero of our own story. Everybody wants to be the hero of their own narrative. But very, very few people take the time and effort to work out what their narrative is and what sort of hero they want to be. If people actually take time to do that, then I think their narrative becomes clearer. It also becomes calmer. It also becomes more peaceful, and it also becomes much more fruitful for them. I love that. This has been such an awesome interview. For a, for a former bouncer, you, have, you, by the way, have a very soothing voice. You may have a a therapy role in your future as well. <laughs> um, Chris, tell us where people can find you online. I'm easiest to find at tradinggame.com.au. I can be found on social media. I can be found on, if you use the handle Trading Game, I can be found on LinkedIn under my own name. Uh, all the usual suspects that everyone is now uh, party to. Perfect. And for those of you on the elliptical, we got you covered. Everything Chris Tate will be shared at thedailyhelping.com in the show notes for his episode. Well, Chris, this has been really a really cool conversation. Thank you so much for coming on The Daily Helping. I enjoyed it very much. Not a problem, Dr. Richard. Great way to start the morning. Absolutely. Or, or end the day in my case. End the day. <laughs> and for each and every one of you who chose to tune into this, thank you as well. If you like what you heard, go subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review because that's what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, go out there today, do something nice for someone else. Even if you don't know who they are, post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag, MyDailyHelping, because the happiest people are those that help others.